body is murderous in their intentions towards everybody else. They can't hold them back. Submit yourself to one all-powerful absolute sovereign. Thomas Hobbes, the great 17th century natural philosopher, called this Leviathan. I like shapeshifters, only a lot more into Eastern folk, and nothing can kill them. Hello, the internet, and welcome to the Lands of Leviathan podcast, where we discuss popular culture through the lens of political science and international relations theory. My name is Peter, and I am a political scientist. My name is Brock, and I look at things from an international perspective. Please go ahead and listen to our initial podcast recordings on the website. And that website is landsofleviathan.com, where you can find all our podcasts and articles. You can also find them on SoundCloud in the Lands of Leviathan podcast, as well as on iTunes by the same name and on YouTube by the same name. To keep up to date with us, please go ahead and like our Facebook page, the Lands of Leviathan podcast. We're on Twitter as well. You get all our feeds and updates from our Twitter account, so follow us there. We have an RSS feed, so sign up for that on our website. And lastly, if you'd like to contact us, send us feedback, please email us at Leviathan, which is spelled L-A-N-D-S-O-F-L-E-V-I-A-T-H-A-N at gmail.com. With that, I think we can begin our next episode. Okay, so this is our conspiracy theory episode that we spoke about last week. We're very excited to do this one because we've wanted to do it for a while. Brock and I are both uh, super interested in conspiracy theories. As political people, we we love the idea of conspiracy theorists and playing around with them. Uh, They can be a lot of fun, but they can also do a fuckload of damage. Speak for yourself. I fucking hate conspiracy theories. Oh, but that's. I just enjoy deep. I just enjoy debunking them. But that's also because you are a conspiracy theorist. So you know, whatever. (laughs) <laughs> only only in popular culture I like to, <laughs> to, I like to talk about like is Luke Skywalker actually going to be the villain in the new Star Wars movie yeah that's interesting so what we're going to be doing today guys is we're actually going to be providing you with some tools on taking apart conspiracy theories and um, hopefully providing you with an understanding of why some conspiracy theories are nonsense and Um, Why just generally a lot of crap that people say is bullshit. Uh, So let's start firstly. What is a conspiracy theory? It's an invention of assumptions that cannot be falsified or proven true. Yeah, that is exactly right. And um, I think I hear a lot of people saying, a conspiracy theory is only a theory until it's proven true. And it's like, yeah, but a conspiracy theory almost by definition can't be proven true. We are going to be discussing a very interesting conspiracy theory that is relatively recent. It's just cropped up on the internet, and it's something that. But Brock... before we get to that, like there's there've been so many throughout the world of of popular culture, and especially like um, yeah, from the eighties. If you watch any time travel movie, oh, yeah. uh, Terminator or Back to the Future, you're going to have conspiracy theories there, given the complex dynamics of time travel and the problems that crop up with cause and effect relationships when they cross over through time fields. Yeah. Uh, the, we've seen what we've seen one with Neville Longbottom being the chosen one in Harry Potter. Yeah. Uh, where else? Um, well, there's the one that... In the uh, Matrix there was one. Yeah, the Matrix that uh, Neo is not actually the one that it's actually Agent Smith, which is insane. Yeah, it is insane. Well, given the number of assumptions that... The Matrix is such a complicated story. Yeah. You know, you'd have to fix so many different variables to have your assumptions aligned correctly. Exactly. It's, uh, it's rather ridiculous. And I, I, Just run me through them quickly. What happened in Back to the Future? What is the argument there? Uh, so the Back to the Future one is basically, well, Marty goes back in time 
and yeah. he changes the future. And when he comes back, everything in the future's changed, but he remains the same. Now, obviously, that's just a plot uh, hole because of scripting problems. You're writing a t- story about time travel. But the conspiracy theory is is that there was another Marty, uh, a Marty from that timeline that Doc Brown killed in order for the original <laughs> Marty to come back. <laughs> um, so, so if Marty had, had come back to the future at the end of the film, he would have encountered another version of himself in the now new current yeah. time. A Marty that is the product of that timeline. Yeah, so we have like a different social upbringing and different understanding of the world and that kind of stuff. Exactly, because why would that Marty be friends with a crazy scientist? That's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but I'm, I'm a, it's difficult to disprove that stuff that has to do with time travel. It gets too complicated. I don't think you should have conspiracy theories about that. That's no. just for fun. That's just that's just to say things like, oh, the Doc Brown murdered the other Marty. <laughs> exactly, because have, when have you've got Marty. time travel, you have to deal with the paradox that is time travel. That's why time travel is not possible. Uh, what was the one then that had to do with Neville Longbottom? You know, I don't know that much about Harry Potter. Uh, so the Neville, the, the Neville, I feel like our resident expert on uh, paradox, on the <laughs> popular culture conspiracy theories. Um, the, the Neville Longbottom one is actually, I, I almost adhere to it because it's so convincing. It's the one that uh, Harry Potter was not the chosen one in Harry Potter, but it was actually Neville Longbottom because the same amount of assumptions that have to be made for Harry Potter being the chosen one also apply to Neville. Um, And that Dumbledore's whole scheme was to basically push Harry Potter into the line of fire to keep Neville Longbottom safe so that he could eventually destroy Voldemort at the end, which he does by killing the snake. Which makes Dumbledore out to be like a fucking insane person. <laughs> it is very sacrificial. Though. <laughs> but yeah. But let's pick on the orphan child who has nothing to live for. I'm sure he'll die for Exactly, the exactly. Like that, it, it basically turns Dumbledore into a fucking psychopath. Okay, so given all that, um, there is currently a conspiracy theory making its rounds around the internet about the new Star Wars movie. Uh, which has got us quite intrigued. Uh, Brock, can you explain what this conspiracy theory is about? Most people, well, not most people, but a bunch of freakazoids have gone and uh, condensed, tried to condense six minutes worth of trailer time into a conspiracy theory about why they don't see enough of Mark Hamill playing Luke Skywalker, because we know he's been signed to the cast list. And we see um, Han Solo, we see Chewbacca, they, they even get a line. Carrie Fisher playing Princess Leia's in there briefly, and um, always sees Luke Skywalker is gently he places his hand on C three PO, and people have been wondering why he's gotten such little screen time, uh, given how much has been seen of the new characters, especially the new marked villain. Uh, that's so. They they suspect or they say that Luke Skywalker is now going to be set up as the new villain. He's the new Sith Lord. Um, because he's chosen to revise and become what the Emperor designed for him to be. He's decided to fulfill the Emperor Palpatine's plans, his sinister plans for the for them to rule over the galaxy, except he's chosen to do so in more of his father's capacity, which is why you see a character, the, the, the villain, looking at a mangled Darth Vader mask, promising to you know live out the chosen destiny. Yeah. So um, I think it's just it's it's just a, a, an unfortunate occurrence given how little people have seen of the actual film, and the fact that they don't know who the who the original cast actually is. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Um, so, okay, this has so many assumptions that are made in order to make this uh, come to to, to be to be true. Uh, like, firstly, it as a, as a avid Star Wars fan, and and you know, I've been watching Star Wars since I was a kid. Just from a character point of view, Luke Skywalker turning to the dark side would be taking a huge shit on Return of the Jedi. Yeah, Return of the Jedi would be a null movie. The the, the whole storyline would prove meaningless if if this if Luke Skywalker turned out to actually turn to the dark side. Yeah. Because yeah, because of that whole fight with the Emperor, with Darth Vader, with him redeeming his father, um, and him you know, eventually deciding not to continue the fight with his father would be absolutely pointless. Yes, because then that that rendered Darth Vader a light side fight and made him destroy um, the Emperor, and uh, and so you know brought us to the Force. It's it's and all of that would be you know would be chucked out the window if J.J. Abrams and the and the writer I don't know who the writer is um, decided to go with this plot instead. It's like you could have just moved straight on from Episode Five into Episode Seven. Yeah, exactly. And but that aside, because that's a it's almost like an emotive response that us as fans do not want that to happen. Um, I mean, theoretically, within the universe that is Star Wars, it could, I mean, it, it, it's possible that it could happen. Luke, Luke could fall to yeah. the dark side. But from a rational perspective, because this is about the conspiracy theory, we have to dissect the assumptions that I have to be made for that to be the case, don't we? Well, the biggest assumption is of, of Luke's character. Like, that he is the hero of the story, and the, the story is about his progression as the hero. Exactly. As the main hero, and how he grows into the Jedi role, and how he learns what it takes to be a Jedi. Mm. And, um, so, and he's so well-suited to that character form that it would be preposterous for him to just, uh, you know, sort of decide on a woman to chuck them out the window. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And not to mention the fact that if Luke Skywalker is the bad guy, that means those images of him with the red lightsaber would would be him with the red lightsaber. Luke already yeah. has a lightsaber. So why would he construct himself a worse lightsaber which we see by the, you know, the blade is all crackly, it's not a static yeah. blade. Why would Luke and Luke knows how to build a lightsaber because he built himself a second lightsaber after his lightsaber fell um, down on, through the cloud yeah. city. So he knows how to build a good lightsaber. Why would he build himself a crappy lightsaber? So that's another assumption you have to make that he just, what, decided to build a crappy lightsaber? Yeah. No, it doesn't make sense. It, it, it seems like a novice uh, Sith. But yeah. this is the other argument is that maybe the guy's been cast as the actual villain uh, and he's running around with a mask and a shitty uh, red blade is actually, you know, the apprentice of of Luke, who's who could be the Sith master? Well, see that. Um, yeah. No, that's just that's just as preposterous because who is he going to learn from? Who would be his master? Who would teach him the dark side of the Force? Yeah, and from that you would have to assume that Luke, being the Sith master, would have had to rediscover Sith magic uh, that had been left over from the Emperor and Darth Vader, which in, entails him going in search of that information. Then taking on an apprentice, so you, you see how the assumptions just get stacked one on top of each other on top of each other. Yeah, well, as you add these assumptions, you learn that you know conspiracy theories rely, like almost all other arguments, on a number of assumptions, 
And because people are able to prove that some of those assumptions might be true, they assume that the remaining assumptions are necessarily true. And the number of assumptions that remain to be proven true are just simply too large to actually be convincing. Yeah. That's why most people don't believe conspiracy theories because they're not persuasive. Exactly. And that's what, you know, I'm sure that many of our listeners have had this, you know, if you're at a, at a party or, or having a discussion with a friend who's a conspiracy theorist and you say, well, okay, this assumption has to be wrong because of X, Y, and Z, your conspiracy theorist person will immediately turn to you and say, oh yeah, but you haven't thought of um, ABC and will provide reasoning why your disproval is incorrect based on a whole number of other assumptions. So you can never disprove a conspiracy theory because the conspiracy theorist doesn't allow you to. It's in scientific terms, it's what we call unfalsifiable. It's unfalsifiable because the number of assumptions they create to um, to create suspicion around the actual truth of the variable, the assumption, uh, is just so large that there's, there's not enough evidence to prove it true and by proxy, there's not enough evidence to prove it untrue. So it just becomes something that you either want to believe or you don't want to believe. Yeah. Uh, and as ration, as ra- as political scientists, you, you you're forced to use your rationality quite a lot. You tend to pick up tools like Occ- Occam's razor. Yeah, yeah. And Occam's razor is an amazing tool for. I mean, any kind of thinking. It's a critical thinking tool. Um, do you want me to explain it? Yeah, yeah. It's too boring for me. <laughs> So Occam's razor was developed by the philosopher Occam in like, I don't know, the 14th century or some shit. But basically, the the basic tenet of it is that the simplest answer is usually the correct answer. And that that sounds like a truism and it sounds stupid, but the reasoning behind it is actually quite elegant. And that is the larger your argument is, the more assumptions you have to make. And argumentation and all political science, all science in general, is never 100%. We never know that something is going to happen for sure. We can only ever know something to a certain degree of probability. So when Brock and I are doing our work, we try and predict who's going to win this election. We don't know 100% who's going to win the election, but we can say with a certain level of probability that they're going to win this election. And the way we do that is based on looking at the evidence and we always have to include a certain number of assumptions in that evidence. But what we try and do is decrease the number of assumptions down to its bare minimum. Because the more assumptions that we make, the more likelihood that one or more of those assumptions will be proven to be wrong. So the falsehood of those assumptions increases as the number of assumptions we make increases. Therefore, any argument that has more assumptions then an argument that has less assumptions is more likely to be incorrect in comparison to the simpler argument. So so a simpler argument would have a stronger chance of being right. Exactly. And this is all probability. So when we look at our Luke Skywalker example, yes, it's possible that Luke Skywalker could fall to the dark side. Absolutely. However, the amount of assumptions... Maybe, maybe he, just, he just got bored with the universe being so boring. Exactly. I mean, or maybe he, uh, I don't know, had a schizophrenic break. Who knows what happened? But Maybe that kiss with his sister threw him out of joint. <laughs> yeah, maybe he started freaking out because he's an incestuous bastard. I don't know. <laughs> but at the end of the day, what you then have to do is, you see, we already are making assumptions that we have no evidence for. So that, that argument is much less likely than the argument of Luke will not fall to the dark side because we know his character. 
we know yeah. what he's like and therefore we can say it's much more likely that luke would not fall to the dark side and therefore luke is not the villain in that story to to make it even simpler for people like me it's you're adding up you can add up three two hour movies you've got six hours of film on luke skywalker's character versus six minutes of star wars trailer of not seeing anything about luke so when you when you when you create the two arguments what is luke more likely to become you'd say he's more likely to stay the good guy exactly exactly so now let's have some fun and apply this new tool to well, it's not a new tool let's apply this tool to one of the largest political conspiracies of our time 9 11 boom 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 i like well, everybody loves to say that uh, the the ford planes that crashed on september 11th were you know were crashed by employees of the united states government and uh, I think, I mean, uh, there's so many conspiracy theories about 9-11, but I think that the two biggest ones are, A, that the American government organized 9-11, um, and B, that they knew about 9-11 and didn't do anything about it. So I think the, the last one is pretty easy to disprove, so we'll do that last. But let's, let's take apart the, the first one. So um, can you explain to us what the like the, the conspiracy theory in its fullness and why people believe that it's a conspiracy theory? Uh, mostly because they hate American, the American government, and it's so easy to be suspicious of their activities given the antics of the CIA in the past. Um, so more than, but more than just the, the history of uh, America's you know military persuasions, uh, there was so much evidence linking the the play the, the terrorists to CIA training in the past. And there was so much evidence around George Bush's policies and uh, confidential intentions that were written into policy um, to blow up, to to sabotage public uh, enterprise airplanes and crash them into the World Trade Center and other strategic points in order to persuade the American public that the terrorist threat was real and an invasion of the Middle East was justified in order yeah. to root out dictators and terrorists like the Taliban and yeah. Al-Qaeda and Saddam Hussein, all those other now seemingly bad guys who, who came out as the bad guys after that story. Yeah, yeah. And not to mention all... I mean, there definitely are some questionable things that happened on that day. Um, but a lot of them can be explained. But just to list a few, like... I know that, uh, so the first one is, okay, so jet fuel is not hot enough to melt steel beams. Absolutely true. You saw explosions at the base of the tower, or at least puffs of smoke, before the towers fell. Yep, that's true. Um, and also the fact that there doesn't seem to be enough wreckage around the Pentagon for, uh, you know, for, to, to show a plane flew into the fucking thing. Um, that's also true. But let's look at the assumptions that you have to make for that conspiracy theory to be true. Just before we move on to those assumptions, I think it's worthwhile adding value to those arguments, to the evidence that does support the conspiracy theory. And you should definitely take a look at the documentary called 9-11 Loose Change, or Loose Change 9-11, something like that. Um, that's a great uh, display of the evidence supporting the conspiracy theory, and that's... Uh, that's what's going to be what we're going to try and counterbalance now by by showing how many assumptions have to be made in order for that conspiracy theory to actually hold up. So it's not that we're trying to say that though that that, that that stuff didn't happen. It's just that in order to complete the theory, in order to complete the argument that the government did actually set it up, you would have to assume things like um, like 
that there wasn't a tenable relationship, uh, like a communication relationship, active in the years 2000, 2001 between the CIA and uh, and and the the terrorists to be who were going to be on that plane. Absolutely. Not to mention the fact that organizing an attack of that level requires a, a, quite a fair amount of logistics. Uh, so, you know, I know like Brock and myself have been involved in organizing events and things back when we were at university. It's fucking difficult. Okay, just it's getting people together to do one thing is hard enough when you're organizing a party. Now, organize to have a plane hijacked and smash into a building. You need to first get all the intelligence of what's going on, so that it requires intelligence analysts. You need to pay off certain people, uh, so that requires banking, that requires finances, that requires your accountants to be in on it. Um, it requires communication between different people. So you've got probably secretaries and high level, high ranking levels of the CIA and probably the American government in on it. It requires moving people out of the building because surely there are going to be people in that building that you don't want to die. So it requires them to be in on it. It requires, I mean, if there were explosives in the building, it requires somebody to lay that explosive down. The amount of people necessary in order to carry out those logistics is, is quite large. I mean, let's... I, and I not know. just carry them out like it's a public exhibition. Carry them out secretively, planned for years in advance, without anyone, without the majority of the government knowing about it, without anybody finding out or suspecting anything, and still, to this day, still keeping quiet about it. How have they managed to, to not lay a peep in from anyone supporting this conspiracy theory? Yeah. They've just, you, know, you get your hands on a few secret documents from the CIA where most of it's been blotted out. That could ultimately prove that this was planned, but uh, but when you weigh up the probability of the things that have to all be in a line for it to be a success, a resounding success at that, is um is blindfolded. It's 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 just a, an entire leap of faith that I don't think as sophisticated as the U.S. government is would ever be able to to carry out. Yeah, well, for the U.S. government to be able to carry that out. We're no longer talking about a democratically elected liberal democracy. We are talking about the most organized political force that has ever existed in human history. These guys are fucking awesome. If they could organize an attack like that and keep it secret, holy shit, those guys are good at running stuff. Like, it's amazing. And to see, and to see how they've made blunders in the past, and not just in the <laughs> recent past, but also around that time. Like, they're not the best at keeping secrets. No. Um, so, so I don't think that this, an operation of that scale would ever stay under wraps no. completely the way it has. Um, and then you, then you go with the counter argument and say, okay, Peter, if I'm playing devil's advocate, so you're telling me that the United States can't get it right, but a, a group can? Well, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying, because the reason that a group like um, you know, Al-Qaeda um, under Osama bin Laden can do something like that is because it's a very hierarchical structure, militaristic in its viewpoint, with everybody ideologically driven to the cause. That makes it so much easier to carry out events. That's why totalitarian governments are tend to be a lot more efficient than democrat, dem, democratic ones. Um, because and, and more than that, we also need to just uh, bank on your argument that you used earlier that the the number of assumptions they can cut out they don't have to pay off accountants they don't have to pay off communication officers they don't have to keep anything secret they just have to keep the operation secret up until the event 
yeah. after that, they would take full claim and they would, you know, they would um, disclose all the information to the public to boast about how successful they were. They didn't have to account for all the assumptions that the government would have to. Their schemes would be a lot simpler, and that's what makes their the argument about the Al Qaeda motive so much stronger than the U.S. government. Exactly, and so the amount of assumptions on either side are now we we have too many assumptions. But the, the, I think the scariest assumption for me, um, as a as a human being, is that the assumption that if they could keep that under wraps, it's not that they could. It's that the people would keep that under under wraps. That the fact that you have the death of 3,000 individuals and enough people to organize that attack and keep it quiet, that is a terrifying world to live in, where you think that your government is run... These aren't sociopaths. These aren't psychopaths. These are the scariest individuals who do not care about human life. I mean, even they're willing to take out three thousand of their own uh, compatriots in order just and keep quiet about it in order just to what prove a point in order to to go shoot some Taliban. Exactly. Like, that That's... is a, those are terrible. I don't know if those people really exist. No, I don't think they exist at all. That's that's crazy to believe that anybody would do that. You might get a handful of psychopaths in in an entire nation, but to get a to get them all strategically placed in important government and state positions to carry out that operation. You're telling me that all of those people don't have a conscience? They don't, uh, they wouldn't say, ah, the balls of this, I'm not, I'm not partaking, partaking in this. Exactly. Of course they would. And do you know what's even more is that we have actually seen that kind of scenario happen in real life. So we've got data to pull on. We had psychopaths taking control of a entity Himmler, Hitler, Grubels, and uh, Dr. Mengler were all in charge of a very powerful institution in Third, in Third Reich Germany. And they came under a massive amount of attack by people just below them. The amount of fucking assassination attempts on Hitler's life, I think it was 15? 28? Time, was 28? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was insane. Uh, the, the, uh, the amount of luck that Hitler had uh, to escape those assassination attempts is another issue. But we've already seen... What, what can happen when we've seen what happens when people take that amount of control and are that crazy that their immediate subordinates are like, uh, this is insane. We're going to kill you. Yeah, Which yeah is exactly. What... Like when, when people were suspected of the US government tapping all the phones and watching the, the entire internet, there was a whistleblower. His name's Edward Snowden. And I think that there would have been a character like his on the United States government front when they would be planning this type of attack. He would have been caught in... He or she she would have been caught in between those operations and willing to blow the whistle on it. Exactly. Not to mention the fact that the recent leaks from the American government by Edward Snowden and WikiLeaks would likely have sourced some material on a planned 9-11. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, But then just to finish this off, Peter, it seems, um, you know, we don't want to... Uh, degrade or disheartening any of the, the lives the lives that were lost on that day um, but it would help the United States government a lot if they came forward in defense of the evidence pointing fingers at them like why were all the pl- planes grounded on that day um, why would why why people be notified of, of the of this so-called military um, practice that was going to take place how did they how did they get around that why why haven't they spoken up about that 
to, to put people's mind at ease that they weren't planning something as terrible. That is an interesting point, but to a certain extent, I disagree with you. Because, uh, like I said in, my, in the last podcast, or the, the podcast before last that we did, that it's better for a government to be feared uh, than it is for the people to realize how goddamn stupid they are. And I think that this applies to the American government more than any other. So the American government was massively embarrassed and horrified by the events of 9-11. The fact that the CIA, which it's their purpose to know what was going to happen, didn't, or and th- there is some evidence to suggest that the CIA had some information that an attack was coming and didn't take it seriously because that's why so many people got fired after 9-11 because the Bush administration was like, what the fuck, guys? This was your job. But now, if the American government comes out and starts explaining and getting involved in this kind of backwards and forwards between itself and the people, in a way, it justifies its own stupidity. It shows its own stupidity. It shows its inability. The word you're looking for is vindicate. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. It vindicates the attacks against it. And as I said, it's better for a government to be feared than it is to to look stupid. And the American government has never looked as stupid as it did on 9-11. And again, as you said, this is... But that space, that space that's created is... um, But it really, it, it, it means that people can buy in Maybe not to the idea of the CIA and the government planning the attack, but perhaps that they picked up on it and that they found out and either didn't trust the evidence or they, they were opportunistic and they thought, we'll ground all the planes, we'll let this plan happen and then we'll use it as fuel to get into the Middle East. Yeah, I mean, you can go against that, you, you can go two ways. One is the evidence. So firstly, America didn't attack Afghanistan nor did it attack Pakistan, it attacked Iraq, uh, which was an emotive response by George Bush because he was trying to finish the... I mean, that goes into, you know, uh, the politics of uh, of personality. George Bush was trying to finish the work started by his father. Uh, Secondly, the reasoning that conspiracy theorists give for America going into the Middle East was for the oil, which is nonsense because America gets most of its oil from Venezuela and the North Sea oil fields. It went into the Middle East to attempt to spread democracy, uh, which is a stupid idea, absolutely. But yes. they, as I've said before, America is kind of like the a, a jock on campus who is really socially aware, but goes around beating people up to try and get them to be like good people. It's absolutely <laughs> good intentions, but very bad ways of doing it. You know, so yeah, not a, not everyone has to be a capitalist. Exactly. America doesn't need an excuse to get involved in people's business. Uh, it hasn't had an excuse before. I mean, it got involved in Vietnam. It got involved in Iraq the first time. Why did it need a 9-11 to get involved in Iraq the second time? I really think that 9-11 didn't allow them to get into Iraq the second time. 9-11 pushed them to get into Iraq the second time because America was looking for somebody to lash out against. Yes, I, you've, yeah, I think you've convinced me more of that side of the argument, that um, they didn't use it as a tactic. Although you need to also look at maybe they were going to go anywhere, and so it pushed them to get there, but they could have used it to persuade their own population that it was dangerous enough to warrant an invasion. 
Anyway, but that argument can drag on forever, Peter. We'll just stay here for hours. Absolutely, absolutely. Guys, this is a super interesting discussion. And I think that, you know, we might come back to more conspiracy theories, but this is one that's going to get a lot of comments from the internet, I'm hoping. Send us your information, because I really want to hear from you. I don't. I know we're going to be arguing against so much on this episode, <laughs> more than the, the past episodes. We better brace ourselves for a shitfire hellstorm <laughs> of, uh, of criticism. Come at me, bros. <laughs> I, would, I would just, before we end, I'd like to say one more thing. And that is, when you are confronted with this type of thinking, either for people outside of you or with your own thinking, use, the Occam, use Occam's razor to take apart the assumptions that you've made in your own head and check whether those assumptions are based on any kind of data or not. If they're not discard them because there are conspiracies that are going on right now there absolutely are we're not saying that there aren't vested interests in the world that are doing things that are immoral because they absolutely are but you have to ask yourself the question why are they doing those things governments do bad stuff because they think it's in the best interest of their people those are the types of things and if we don't understand why people do things we can't stop them from doing those things if you want, yeah, if you want to understand more about the motivational readings behind that, go listen to our previous episode on the politics of fear. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, listen to that one. It's good. So, okay, we've got to end off now because we're running way over time. Uh, this has been awesome, guys. We might revisit this. If you have comments, um, comment to us on Facebook. Land, the Lands of Leviathan podcast is our page. We're uh, getting many, many likes, which is fucking awesome. Um, and send us an email at landsofleviathan at gmail.com. That's L-A-N-D-S-O-F-L-E-V-I-A-T-H-A-N at gmail.com. Um, Twitter as well, Lands of Leviathan um, podcast on Twitter. Anything else, Brock? No, that's it. We'll see you guys next week. Hope you enjoyed it. Awesome. And visit our webpage, uh, landsofleviathan.com. Thanks, guys. Uh, see you next time. Ciao.